Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 84, Kindness and Civility, or it might be called Civility and Kindness. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from two shed quarters in Radford and Blacksburg, Virginia. I think I'm here today with my friend Jesse Fury for our first ever two-piece online is that right where zoom 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 so we've done an interview with matt cruz from boston together through zoom but this is our first two-piece i think first time just the two of us on zoom that's right we're we're, it's like we're so close you know (laughs) but yet so far away (laughs) you you know it's funny like i would be looking at you in my reading chair usually if you're in the studio but now i'm just looking to you on a monitor and it's it's actually closer but uh yes it's it's actually easier to see you because normally i have to look through all of your (laughs) monitors and microphones cameras and and, there you are yeah this is what you look like yeah yeah um look good my wife will say why didn't you guys just do that all the time like during corona why did you risk six feet you know but uh we're about through that we always stayed six feet away yeah we did we we obeyed the government obeyed the yeah. we obeyed the people that we're married to um and we have uh successfully navigated the sickness so far but uh a so little bit of spiking going on but mainly in cases not deaths that's good testing is way up so we expect positives way up but certainly not out of the woods thankful for everyone wearing your stylish fly masks out there we can tell people <laughs> that care about fashion and those who don't um, you've got a pretty cool homemade, uh, wrap around double tie thing going on. When I you do, wear I do. You can, you know, you, 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 we've got a local, uh, seamstress craftswoman member of our church. She runs a business called so darn close. Her last name is close. So ah. uh, she made, she was making masks from the beginning. I had a mask right away. Awesome. It's got a nice little spot for a filter, which I, <laughs> I haven't used it, but you can put you in could, a viral. Yeah. R yeah. Value, like a something special, Merv, special Merv value. Yeah, so uh, so it's not bad. You know, whenever when I forget it, when I go out and I have to wear like a surgical one because I got some backups. Right, right, right. I got like painting like, dust mask backups. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't feel as, it doesn't feel as hip and cool, but it's healthy. Yeah, healthy, healthy, and makes people feel better. And I'm mm-hmm. all for that. If you look, if there's things in life you can do that make others feel better that don't hurt you at all. I just don't get the resistance to these things. Guys, we're so thankful you joined uh, today for episode 84. This is obviously um, going to be an episode. Jesse and I were speaking just before we jumped on air how important this is to us personally, but also uh, for the world and in the future of our uh, society uh, to learn together to talk to each other differently. Um, one of the things that um, I've noticed, and I think everybody has noticed, that either through Facebook debates or Twitter beatdowns, uh, there has been a lowering of our uh, level of discourse, uh, public discourse, private discourse, um, mainly through division and disagreement, where we're now, man, we're not just playing in the sandbox. We're like throwing we're throwing more than shade in our in our interactions with each other. And so this is coming from this. Is, we're on number four of the seven things that need to make a comeback uh, in our society. Mental toughness. Right. We can't just crumple. We have to be here. Uh, marriage and kids, manufacturing, making stuff. It's a good guy thing and now civility and kindness needs desperately needs a comeback now particularly in our public interactions but I found that this kind of uh, when culture is created when people participate in a way of being together the it's not just on Twitter it spills out into other areas of life in fact social media interactions then can um, poison the wells of uh, private interactions even and difficulties in talking to others certainly in our politics or our ideological agreement um, we need to do different in the way we interact now I want to give a rejoinder uh, today as we begin I'm not talking about docility in other words that we should never speak clearly loudly or we should just tiptoe around real issues that we can't have hashtag real talk I'm not saying that we should be passive uh, silent, have no opinions, uh, be required either by force or uh, pressure to agree with some enforced ideologies, right? I want to say that right at the beginning as strongly as I can because sometimes people uh, make a plea for civility and everyone's like, no, I'm not being nice or I'm not being quiet. Well, we're not asking here today in our podcast for docility or passivity or anything like that. What I, what we do want to say strongly is there's something very wrong in our public discourse today. 
Now, the, the, the illustrations are legion, right, Jesse, that we could go to. I'm not even going to spend much time on the illustrations. Obviously, our president and other people in public office are name-calling on Twitter, um, disrespectful things from university presidents uh, in right our... In. Right in our backyard. In our state, right? Uh, not Radford or Virginia Tech, but in other schools in Virginia, just very disrespectful discourse. We have the leader of the opposition tearing up State of the Union speeches for like everyone to see, so to speak. Um, a lot of my African-American friends felt it was a little disrespectful of Joe Biden to say, right, if you don't vote for Joe Biden, you ain't black. Um, just saying these things out loud, and then everybody, of course, uh, goes off. We even have language now around that for people being triggered or giving triggered warnings as if that we cannot hear something we don't like. We have to lose our sanity and drop into a, a Donald Trump uh, cesspool of discourse if someone says something that we don't like. And so this is a problem. Um, I was even you know on my Twitter today reading, seeing how... Uh, you know, a person from Hollywood and a person from the U.S. send it, going at it, um, talking trash like they were 14-year-old kids. And so this is going to be uh, hard for us because we feel so passionately uh, about the things we believe. But if we don't learn again, and this doesn't reemerge in our society, this is something that will certainly spiral things either further out of any type of a civil, kind, gentle society where we can build something worth of value together. Some of you may be uh, familiar with the book, The Coddling of the American Mind. We've mentioned it here on the podcast before by Jonathan Haidt, who's a psychologist. He's Thomas Cooley. I, I don't know. This is a lot of names. Thomas Cooley, professor of ethical leadership at New York University Stern's School of Business, uh, Jonathan Haidt, and co-authored that book with Greg Lukianoff, The Coddling of the American Mind, saying, hey, look, we have to have free speech, we have to have inter in, uh, intercourse in our ideas, we have to have interchange. Jonathan Haidt, this, one of these authors, the uh, business ethicist, psychologist, was interviewed in the idea section of The Atlantic uh, just a few weeks ago, May 24th, 2020. Now, in this article, he was speaking, and, and pay attention to the dates here, about our divided country, and he said the following. Around 2008, hate had become increasingly concerned about how politically polarized America was becoming, and polarization has only worsened in the past dozen years. Hate goes on to say, I've gotten more and more alarmed every year since then, he told me. This is an interview in The Atlantic. And there are several trends that are very disturbing, including the rise of effective polarization or mutual dislike and hate each political side feels for the other. When there's so much hatred, a democracy cannot work right, he said. You can't get compromise. You get exactly the situation that the founders feel that James Madison wrote in Federalist 10, which is faction, which is people care more about defeating the other side than they care about the common good. Jesse, if we are only trying to burn down the ships of our opponents, what are we left with? Nothing, man. I mean, that, 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 I think that hates interview there on the Atlantic is so worth a read. Uh, so insightful because, um, you know, even just that, that way of thinking about how we exist in the world with our neighbors, with real life people is, are we, are we trying to have a discourse towards the common good of our region, our nation, our land, or, are we trying to win? Are we, and, and, and it's not just win. it's when it all costs burn down, you know, it's, it's kind of that, you know, yeah, burn it right. all down uh, way of winning. And so, yeah, man, we got nothing left. And just to be clear, uh, Jonathan Haidt calls himself an atheist. Um, Jesse and I both read this interview and we really enjoyed it. We've read some of his book, Calling of the American Mind. We think he's saying really good things. And we don't agree on maybe the most fundamental things of life. Uh, right. But downstream from that, there is a reality that flows out into our common life together. And if we can't compromise and build and shift and accept different ideas, uh, democracy cannot flourish or even persist because eventually some boot will fall on the necks of someone. And this this is something, uh, ironically, in a, in a tweet from a pastor named Duke Kwan this uh, past week as well, said, coercion that's forcing somebody, right? And shaming, apparently our only two remaining tools for ordering public life, 
whatever happened to, I don't know, persuasion. So Pastor Kwan both said coercion and shaming and shamed those who are doing it uh, on the Twitter as an example for for us. Now, if, if people are only coerced, they never come out to making their minds either individually or in, in groups of people. The only tool left is the stick and then shaming causes, and this is a problem. When you just shame people, you cause people to disappear, uh, to not offer any opinions in the public exchange of ideas. And in a free society like ours, that's necessary because we need to check each other. We need to see, hey, am I wrong here? Am I right here? And if we cannot do that, particularly with those who we disagree on, uh, ideas start to run downstream quickly without check and into ditches on either side of the street, whatever the ideological view might be. Some of this difficult came came to a head uh, around what was called Blackout Tuesday. Um, John Stonestreet in a Breakpoint commentary uh, said this, some businesses that did participate in Blackout Tuesday, For if you are unfamiliar with that, you're not on social media, uh, this was like, hey, I'm going to post a blacked out square uh, in order to support uh, black voices and to affirm and to elevate and to support black business, et cetera. Which so, I think was, was originated in the music industry, right? They, that's where, where it started and, and then it, yeah, it it morphed, got co-opted. Yeah. Uh, some unanticipated consequences were like if you went to some Instagram, it was just instead of elevating certain voices and opinions, there wasn't silence. There was just a black screen of yeah. of no pictures, no voices, no anything. Um, but the complexity of it, um, this is something that John Stone Street said in a Breakpoint commentary. Um, some businesses that did participate in Blackout Tuesday by posting a black square were accused of co-opting a social movement to attract customers. But business that did not participate were accused of cowardice or complicity in racism. On Twitter, it was the same thing. Some who have spoken out explicitly against racism were criticized for not doing it earlier or not doing it at just the right time or for virtue signaling or lacking the authority to speak on the issue because they weren't people of color. But nearly everyone on Twitter felt the pressure of having to post something. It's enough to baffle even the most well-meaning advocates, right? So, People trying to do something and say, no, you be quiet. Uh, and then if you don't say something, it's like silence is violence. And lots of people uh, were, how do I even express myself if I am to express myself at all? And then so, you know, people either get loud and flame each other about that or they disappear altogether and say, I ain't saying nothing uh, in order to not be construed. I've obviously not been silent. I certainly want to speak my own mind and care about things, certainly going to do so today, Jesse. Um, we want to help our audience and anyone you might want to share this with, with some just general principles for civil engagement with other people. You know, sometimes we think everything I learned that's of value, there maybe was a book in the past called this, Everything I Learned, I Learned in Kindergarten. Uh, you know, how to play in the sandbox with another kid. Obviously, there's some who punch kids that are in there, some throw shade, some throw dirt, uh, some take toys, some share with people, some cry, some scream, uh, some are quiet until they uh, unleash rage. Uh, the sandbox metaphor is valuable to us, but in the the, this world out there, the scriptures, right? Jesse and I, uh, we, we're trying to accord ourselves as followers of Jesus. Uh, how do we go about engaging civility and kindness in our discourse? Now, there's a couple words that that, that kind of line up with these. Uh, kindness simply means a graciousness, right? Uh, a goodness or benevolence towards people, right? Um, don't be a not being a jerk, extending goodness or kindness, graciousness, benevolence towards others. Civility has to do with a courtesy offered in the public sphere, right? A respect for people. I think of the scripture uh, in First Peter that says, "In your heart, set apart Christ the Lord as holy, being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you." That's the uh, the apologetics verse, right? Yet do so with gentleness and respect. This is what we mean: kindness, civility. Um, there's actually a great outline uh, in one of the books of the New Testament that is kind of a book full of imperatives or commands, also full of uh, proverbial wisdom. It's one of the wisdom uh, books of the New Testament, the book of James. It concords a lot uh, with Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And uh, there's this passage in there, and this this is most likely when it says being quick to hear. Most likely, most commentators believe this means quick to hear God's truth, right? And then the effects on life, but it has application broadly. It says this, know this, my beloved brothers or brothers and sisters. This is that word for family in the New Testament. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of of God. Now, Jesse, this little outline uh, is simple. It's memorable. Um, sometimes we think we're to be quick to tweet, uh, quick to blow people up uh, <laughs> because I'm angry, I guess. But we're going to just use this as a little outline to talk about, hey, this is how we can show kindness to others and civility to others. Um, slow to speak. Jesse, have you ever been around uh, uh, folks that uh, eh, maybe maybe run their mouth quickly? Well, you know, not that's not me personally. I, I don't struggle with any of these things, but uh, none of them at all. Right? Yeah, no. I mean, I, I can't think. I can't even count the amount of times that I have, uh, usually not till later, but regretted how quick I was to speak on something. And and one of the things that I found with this is often what what manifests as anger in me doesn't seem as angry as it might in someone that's a little more hot tempered. Yeah. But like if I get if I get internally fired up because I think that you're maybe saying something that's theologically wrong or or imprecise even and I'm starting to press and 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 maybe the ways that I'm speaking quickly are more subtle, more um uh maybe even more uh demeaning in a kind of um oh really you know you think that's what it is? Well, have you thought about this? Yeah. Uh, it makes that, me that, makes me think of a woodpecker, right? Woodpeckers leave some pretty a dominant damage, like holes, like what did that? But yeah. it was like da, 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 <laughs> over time. <laughs> just, yeah. So, so I think I just that's just my admonition, uh, my, my encouragement to brothers and sisters out there who maybe aren't as um, obviously explosive, angry or volatile. Yeah, like I'm not. I'm probably not going to blow you up, and 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 I'm especially slow on things like Twitter because I'm just I just try to mainly don't go on them <laughs> as yeah. my strategy, yeah. but, uh, but I, but I, I can sometimes be quick with a, with a sharp word, with a kind of um, condescending word, uh, with an argumentative word. And so, uh, so anyway, I just, that's just, I'm just saying me, I'm the one. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. Is this an yeah. intervention? Yeah. <laughs> no, not, not particularly to you. Uh, it's with all of us. This is an intervention yeah. for all of us. This is in the wisdom literature uh, of the Old Testament, one of my favorite books in the Bible, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is kind of like a, it's an upside down argument. It's, say, it's saying, hey, if, if there is no God, here's what the world is like. It's all meaningless, empty, that kind of thing. It kind of runs us empty from our own worship of things that aren't God. I love the way it is. Very philosophical about meaning. Um, this is in Ecclesiastes 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen is better than the to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing is evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, right? For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. And so, hey, when we draw near, we want to listen to God and to others, because hasty, rash words, right, um, they just wreck up some stuff, and it's not wise. And, and one of the things that I think the Bible is conscious of constantly is that we're not just speaking to people. Uh, we're speaking before God as well as to human beings, uh, and that God is cares about the way we use our mouths. In other words, uh, Jesus, I think even every hasty word will be brought into judgment, Right. right. Um, that's, <laughs> you think about that for more than two seconds. Uh, it makes you want to put your hand right over our mouths. Uh, James one, if anyone thinks he's religious, does not bridle his tongue, deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. <laughs> <laughs> when, when Proverbs ten nineteen, when words are many transgression or sin, right, is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is prudent. I know some of you guys out there have gotten yourselves into trouble uh, with your mouths before, right? I know I have. Some of the dumbest stuff I've done is just run off at the mouth in the wrong way at the wrong time. 
um, arrogant speech. Let another, this is Proverbs 27, 2, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. This is what uh, a big problem I have with Christian or anybody really brand building where you constantly hype yourself, talk up yourself. And I think when anybody does that in our presence, it's a little bit, it grows very offensive over time. Um, and that's why I think wisdom says, this is Proverbs 30, 32, if you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you've been devising evil, put your hand over your mouth. And and, and that's kind of a, you know, a, a visual, if you will, if someone is literally putting their hand over their mouth, it's like, hey, I need to stop the mm. self-exalting, the self-centering, this prideful speech, because not only does it grow offensive to people, uh, the scriptures say that God opposes the proud uh, and gives grace to the humble. Isn't that uh, doesn't Job do that in the end? Isn't he? Isn't he? Yeah, his yeah, his yeah. The book of the book of Job. Um, <laughs> that's a true story from my early Christianity. I was a, I think, a sophomore in college, and was in. We used to have these Bible studies for athletes in the uh, women's basketball locker room at UNC Chapel Hill, and somebody said, uh, "Turn to the book of Job," <laughs> and I couldn't find it. And then I was like, "Hey, Job's always been job to me." Um, and I had to get made fun of by church found kids. Found the book of Job. I can't find yeah, the book of Job. Yeah, you know, I can figure it out. Book of Job, man. Um, yeah, Job's interesting, right? Um, at the end of that book, I mean, Job goes through. He goes through hell. He, he loses everything. He loses health. Loses money. Loses family members. Um, his own friends. They're like, "Oh, it's your fault. You must be doing something bad." His wife said, "You know, you know, forget your integrity. Curse God and die." You know, it's like. You know, it's a fun time when you're losing everything and all your friends and your wife are piling on. Uh, and he kind of gets a little grouchy about it towards the end. And then God finally speaks to him, gives him an audience, and then just basically dresses the dude down. He says, where were you when I created this? And where were you when I bring the galaxies? Where were you? And basically, in in God, in a direct, strong way, in a kind way, shows Job that he's a human being and that he doesn't yeah. know the big picture and story and that God does. And then I think you're right. He... Um, he says, his mouth, yeah, right? he says, I need to shut up. No, no, I'm done. That's what that, uh, that's what I think I find the, the job uh, picture so instructive because uh, God really essentially says, Hey, you know, I, I don't find any fault in Job, right? Like he, yeah. he blessed Job in the end, but he, but he still, he still puts Job in his place, essentially saying, Hey, well, here's what I see you doing is you're going up here. And from up here, you think you can look down and make make judgments, state statements about the way the world works, how it ought to work, how I ought to be treated, how, and and really, what you need to do is is realize you're you're uh, you're a human, you're you're uh, you, you know you're finite, you're uh, you have limitations, and so there's this kind of this uh, um, uh, humble epistemology, right? Yeah. Uh, how do I know anything? Well, I don't know. God's going to have to tell me. I can't, I'm not, I'm not going up here. Um, yeah, there, so yeah, I just, yeah. There's this interesting thing in the, in the history of philosophy. You know, you mentioned the word epistemology, like how do people know things? And uh, there's, there's the extremes from all the way, extreme skepticism, human beings cannot know the things, right? We can't know anything really, right? And that's that's the harshest position. And then there's this kind of like um, human beings because of their own, uh, mental reasoning abilities all of a sudden arrive if you have you know start with the principles and move up from the foundation you arrive at this uh indubitable position of knowing all things in fact there was a professor at the university very close to here when i took philosophy of virginia tech uh, who had an online article uh, uh that was very arrogant i'm not gonna say the guy's name he's retired he might be even passed away now um and he basically said, "I've no, I know everything, but I can't store it all in my brain, so I don't know everything anymore because I have to replace things with in his brain." And so there's this either skepticism, well, you can't know anything, and neither can you, or I know I can know everything, and I you kind of seat yourself uh, mm -hmm. in in kind of a God's eye view, right? Um, and this is debated since there is no God's eye view uh, in people, we can't have a view from nowhere. Therefore, we really don't know anything. There's something to be said for that on both sides, uh, because I think what, what we need, and I think you said this, humble epistemology, we need to mm -hmm. approach things with uh, knowing that we're human beings that have a limited view. We don't know all the facts that can be known. We don't even know the, all the facts 
where they should go in an argument sometimes. Um, you have these facts, somebody else has these facts, but you're using them for different purposes. We're not really coming towards a true view of something. And really, the only one who does know is God, and that's why in our tradition, revelation becomes so important. What if there is a, a God's eye view? God could tell us some things. And thank God we believe that God does. Uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Uh, Jesse, I've, I discovered this week there is a kind of long tradition in philosophy, uh, and particularly in the Roman Catholic tradition, debating whether it, or not anger is virtuous ever or not. And this is a quote from uh, Thomas Aquinas. In fact, I saw this uh, on social media early this week um, from uh, quoting that this was from John Chrysostom, kind of the uh, Eastern Greek early preacher in the church, but it's actually a quote of Chrysostom in Aquinas, and most people think Chrysostom did not say this, but this is in Aquinas. It says, lack of passion of anger is also a vice, because a man who is truly and forcefully rejects evil will be angry at it. So Aquinas is going to argue there is a good anger, right? The lack of anger makes the movement of the will against evil lacking or weak. He then quotes John Chrysostom. He who is not angry, whereas he has cause to be, sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. It fosters negligence and incites not only the wicked, but the good to do wrong. In other words, when you see something that is outrageous, that is evil, it ought to uh, anger us or cause outrage. So, but for the most part, in the biblical witness, anger is is a troublesome thing. And I think uh, anyone who's been around a more combustible anger, or maybe a, a drunk, angry person in their upbringing, or somebody was abusive spouse, you know, a wife or a husband uh, who has extreme anger issues, we realize why the scriptures uh, that we read earlier says that man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. This is from the wisdom literature mainly, Psalms, Proverbs, and then one passage from the New Testament I'll share. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. Now, this is a simple translation of the Hebrew. Don't go with a wrathful man. I'm going to tell all my daughters that. Hey, man, you don't need to be going with him, right? <laughs> He's an angry dude. In fact, I, I, my daughters have asked me, Dad, what do you care about? And someday if we were to get married, what do you, what do you care to see in those gentlemen? I say kindness, kindness. Uh, Proverb, that was Proverbs 22, 24. Proverbs 29, 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife, you know, always causing drama, and one given to anger causes much transgression, right? Uh, stirs up sin, right? Uh, Psalm 37, 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. That's out of Psalm 37, verse 8, that was read by James Corden's dad uh, on, uh, on, on, I believe, The Tonight Show or something. What show is James Corden on? If you had not found that video, go see that, guys. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes for you. James Corden, the British comedian, I guess his dad is a... Uh, a Bible salesman or a Christian book salesman. And so he gave a tutorial for Donald Trump on how to hold the Bible. Um, it's, it's really funny. And he, the most powerful part of that is he reads Psalm 37 at the end and refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. And then finally, Ephesians four twenty six in the new Testament, which isn't written in the imperative, be angry or in your anger, sin not or do not sin. Um, and that's very important that if you are angry, there is this temptation to turn it into something else. Um, and I don't know guys out there. I know I have, I know probably every one of you had seen your anger, uh, blow something up or take something in a direction that you later regretted. And so learning that discipline, that spiritual discipline, that spiritual uh, gift from God, even of self-control uh, is of utter importance, and sometimes that takes quiet deliberation rather than simply reacting or triggering. Uh, a, trig a triggering happens to triggerable people, right? And we want to be people that can patiently listen and weigh what someone's saying in order to respond in a way, in the positive way that that same chapter in Ephesians 4 teaches about speaking. Everything we say should be useful to building up people, building up, to, yeah. give, to give grace to those who hear. Now, our ultimate aim is love. We want to love people, right? That's uh, the, the great commandments, love God, love neighbors. Uh, little children, let us love not in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And the way we speak to certain people certainly is one of our deeds. Um, 
First Peter 4, um, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, love one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Well, Jesse, our last section of this podcast, we want to talk together about uh, uh, social media because it is kind of involved now in some of our discourse in a way that may or may not be helpful. What's your take on social media? Uh, Base positive for society, or would you say if you had to weigh it out, uh, negative uh, for our culture? (laughs) I don't know how to, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do that, but you know, it's, it's well documented here on the gospel underground that I'm, I'm a bit of a, a Luddite when it comes to, or, or at least a um, reluctant adopter of social media. And so, so probably I'd be more, more inclined towards there's, there's a uh, more vice than virtue, but recent, I mean, recently we've seen what social media can accomplish at its best, which is, uh, you know, 12 to 15 years ago, I would have never known who George Floyd is. Right. And, and, and so, and so we wouldn't have, I don't think we would have been able to have a galvanized kind of uh, national moment around something like that. Uh, the way that we, we were able to, or are, are able to, and, and continually having now. Um, so, so I do think it's, it's one of those kind of uh, uh, w- there's, there's room for great positive with social media, my own personal, as far as what it does to me, <laughs> is uh well there's a war yeah and and typically it's hard for me to engage in social media without being angry well this and this depends on which kind of avenue of social media we're talking about we have a, a little kind of group me stuff going on with our church marco polo kind of video uh chatting in church in, in the bonhoeffer house and those are almost entirely positive um virtuous good connecting with people, staying up, praying for, for people, giving updates. Um, so, but then there's other things like Twitter or Facebook where, um, I just, I'm weak. And I, I know that when I get on there, it's like all the things that, that, tr- that, 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 that tap on my weaknesses are just tap, 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 tap. They're right there all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, you know, I, I don't know how to answer it broadly. I just, I'm just touching on all, you know, I've, it's, yeah. it's complicated. Yeah, the receipts aren't yet in. I'm sure there are being studies done and will continue to be done for decades about the effect of these platforms on our social discourse. Most most scholars that I have seen, you know, Gene Twinge about the effect of social media and devices on uh, young people is that it's probably a ne- ne- negative and maybe worse than we realize. Right, yeah. And, and, uh, and I want to just mention one more thing along with that is – um, I do think that there's the law of unintended consequences that we're not we're not really even aware yet of the the the, the toll that um, some of the media use will have on us. Um, one thing in particular that I'm I think I find to be uh, cr- pretty much across the board is uh, when we when we're removed like this and we're not embodied. Like I, granted, when I'm in your study in the in the global worldwide shed quarters of power of change. I can't actually see your face quite as well as I can right now. You can see the guns though. (laughs) And you can watch what you say. Right. Cause you know, no, but yes, but, but in in part, yes. Right. Like, so, so we can sit and have a conversation. We, um, I can read your body language better. We can, you can read my body language. We can, uh, Casey can pop her head in and we can like have a conversation. The three of us, um, we're, we're, we're embodied with one another in a way that this removes us. And what happens when we're removed physically is, is I can treat you more like a stranger or more like an enemy or more like a, even like an idea, like you a hypothetical person almost. Yeah. yeah. You, if you bring an idea I disagree with and I can just treat you like this conceptual idea that I'm attacking, uh, which, but what, what I can't see is how you feel about that and That's how right. that affects you because we're removed. And you don't have to care. Maybe mind, even you, maybe yeah. you don't even have to care. Right. Um, this is again Jonathan Haidt, who's a social psychologist. We're quoting earlier uh, the the business ethics guy. Social media essentially gives a megaphone to the extremes, so it's very hard to know what most people really think. And when you look at the people who are loudest on Twitter and elsewhere, 
it's quite clear that this pandemic is turning into another culture war issue where people on the left see what they want to see and people on the right see what they want to see. Um, this Were is we talking about that with the, uh, with Chaz out in Seattle or <laughs> yes, I yeah, me, me and you in real offline conversation, we're talking yeah, about how, that, yeah. how, um, what's happening in Seattle with the autonomous zone. Well, I have no idea to be honest, <laughs> right. because it just no totally idea. depends on who's the one telling us about it and yeah. whether or not they're doctoring their pictures and what their take is. And yeah, you, you kind of basically that, that same picture, it's just yeah. extremes. It's yeah. yeah. And having watched how social media is used um, personally and up close and, and having to, you know, internally wrestle with how I'm using it, repenting and then using it wrongly myself or um, it's very hard. But these are some of the things that it, it's given towards, right? Gotcha tweets. We want to see somebody doing something bad or something we consider bad from our ideological point of view. And we want to tweet against someone and I hear, I think this is the most insidious thing and probably the most disastrous thing. And we do it to be seen by a lot of other people. In other words, if I got a real witty, pithy way to slam dunk somebody, I do it. And then I might get seen by thousands. I might get a, a bunch of little dopamines from all the people that like my slam dunk of someone else. And this idea of doing things in order to be seen by people is something that Jesus actually taught directly against. And he was speaking of that in matters of religion. And certainly uh, when we, you know, whatever religion people are living out there in them woods, um, we're doing it to show off or to show ourselves. Oh, it's very dangerous, right? And it's hurtful because if someone gets, oh, he slayed him. Uh, He owned, he owned them. Owned. Um, yeah, yeah, own the libs. You see that a lot, or we he, yeah. the resistance folks who like you know showing up Donald Trump or something. Um, it's kind of like a show for, and it's a show for people who approve of your views already. And then it's just kind of dismissive and hurtful, and just kind of it's like charging up the uh, the the next shot from someone else. Like you know, you're getting your life back, ready to go back at them. Um, hot takes. People love hot takes because you know there is this uh, the old slogan that all PR is good PR. Uh, if people are talking about you and you're the attention and your brand, it's never bad. And there are people that just want to say stuff to draw attention to themselves. And, and because of this, social media creates a false view of what's real, particularly when it becomes these echo chambers or our, we're listening to all the people we like and we're watching people show their, th- their stuff on Twitter. We're not seeing really a, a good picture of the world, we're, but yet we can think we are. This, this came through really clearly by an author. I have a couple of books over here. Mark Sayers, he's an Australian guy, wrote two books recently, uh, Disappearing Church, Reappearing Church. He had a thread this week. He's not on Twitter a lot, uh, but sometimes he jumps on, drops some stuff, and then disappears, and I happen to see it. So this is the good use of Twitter. But this is a really, really good observation. He says this, however, the trending topics and hashtags of social media often obscure more than they reveal. They are even more manufactured than the legacy mass media news cycle, reflecting back to us an amalgam of our own preferences and biases harvested by algorithms and rich with competing agendas driven by a legion of actors, bots. You know, there's robots on Twitter that aren't even real people stirring up stuff, many times sponsored by powerful state actors uh, against the interests of the United States. Bots, attention-hungry celebrities, governments, political platforms, clickbait profiteers, and random individuals. For fleeting moments like a wave cresting, this, these disparate forces seem to coalesce into a network consensus, appearing to offer us clairvoyance into the actual mood of the moment. Yet because the internet is a complex and dynamic network, its consensus can change in the blink of an eye. One can find themselves one day secure in social consensus, and the next day they are canceled. Thus, such an attempt to read the world, engage public mood, requires total dedication. We must continually sit in the crow's nest, anxiously scanning the horizon for changes in the digital zeitgeist. The totality of such a continual surveillance of the online mood can create a trap where we mistake this world for the real world and we find ourselves repeatedly sideswiped by a more accurate barometers of public opinion such as electoral results what seemed like the public was only a silo Mm. Mm. you know that that is uh that's strong 
That is strong. And and, and it reminds me, um, you know, a little bit of uh, Marshall McLuhan, the, the media is the message. The, uh, the, the, the media sociologist who um, really showed that uh, media is not neutral. The delivery the mechanism. Because, yeah, the delivery mechanism. And so the, in social media, the delivery mechanism itself is so uh, interconnected with all of these different actors. Uh, man. And they all have strong. different agendas, right? Um, all with different agendas. Yeah. <laughs> some are there just to make money, uh, gather lots of clicks, get, get a lot of visibility on a timeline. Some are there because they want people to pay attention to them. Some are there just to cause trouble. Uh, and, and we don't know. Even like what's presented to us, right, is done by usually algor- algorithmic analysis of things yeah. they think you like or going to fire you up or things you interact with more. And then it creates a tidal wave of consensus that's false. And we, and, and to me, this is something I've really struggled with um, that I can get despairing thinking, Oh my gosh, everybody in the world is unsensible radicals on, on every side. And we're really going to burn the world down until you interact. I've been on some calls recently with lots of people from different backgrounds uh, and, and yet, you know, black, white, whatever. And really the division, um, People are really working. People of goodwill are working to solve real problems in the world, move to a better future. And we're not always reminded of that on social media. And that's why relationships matter the most, like uh, real relationships with real human beings uh, in communities where we can you know, hear others and be heard. Hate continue. Hate continue um, Hate, meaning Jonathan Hate, not H-A-T-E. Uh, his analysis is very similar to social media. The relationship matters more than the message. He's talking about human relationships. That's why he says, I like the university, especially one that includes a diversity of viewpoints. It can be powerful because you cultivate these relationships within a community that says our job is not to win, but our job is to learn. That's why the internet and especially Twitter are the worst places for this because you don't have relationships and people are trying to show how smart they are. They are trying to show how devoted they are to their team. So the kind of political engagement, the kind of public square that we get from social media is generally terrible. And again, that's why I love universities so much, and that's uh, what it is for me. The times I remember most is when my beliefs were shredded and I was shown new ways to, not where when my beliefs were shredded, but I was shown new ways to think or given new ways to think. And he closes this. Does anyone really think we're going to win people over by insulting them and spouting hatred towards them, he added. Or are we going to win them over by listening one-on-one as individuals, human to human, American to American? And that's why Dr. Walter Strickland, your friend, uh, said you are not a social media handle. Don't feel pressure to post and repost everything to show that you care. Advocate locally, be incarnate, and do the work in your community uh, and your church, and let's get it done today. Mm. You know, um, this whole conversation, which by the way, I love that you brought the Walter. I actually had, had, uh, his, his tweet pulled up on my phone to, <laughs> to contribute, but yeah. you beat me to it. And so I'll contribute something else that's been really formative for me. Um, uh, very convicting for me. Um, uh, you may have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but, uh, with his, his little book life together, uh, there's a few, well, gosh, the whole book is like, a. it's just like getting punched and it, by someone that loves you and just wants to be like, Hey, here's another one. Uh, it's like, but, I know uh, that I don't do that. I know that, but I don't do that. Yeah, I know yeah. that. There's another one. Uh, one thing that he says in there is I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. He's, and he's really trying to make a point that uh, it, it has really made me question my my relationship with people through media through social media my relationship with them when i'm when i'm in a discourse with them is how, how often and and i don't want to answer this because it's uh, too revealing of my own soul but how often do i stop and pray not that i will win the fight not that the other person will will come to grips with reality which means see things the way that <laughs> i see them but actually pray for them um and, and it's just not, it's, that's not a normal practice. And I, for me, and I doubt it is for most people that are engaging in discourse online. Another thing that he says in life together is he says, there's a kind of listening with half an ear 
that presumes already to know what the other person has to say. It's an impatient, inattentive listening that despises the brother and is only waiting for a chance to speak and thus get rid of the other person. This is no fulfillment of our obligation. And it's certain that here too, our attitude toward our brother only reflects our relationship to God. Mm. He says, it's little, it's little wonder that we're no longer capable capable of the greatest service of listening that God has committed to us, that of hearing our brother's confession. In other words, he's going on to say, Hey, I can't, I can't actually minister to my brother or sister in deep in deep ways, helping them to, to hear the gospel, have the gospel applied to them. If I can't listen to them in lesser ways and, and, and these sorts of discourses that we have, you know, I've actually seen this Jesse in people's replies on Twitter where people literally will look at people's profile picture, their profile and a few tweets, and they think they know them uh, mm-hmm. and then dismiss them as such. This is not uh, one. It's not possible. There's, there's this false intimacy that social media uh, provides. It's yeah, I think I know this person because I read their opinions every now and then, or even worse than false intimacy, shallow intimacy where, Hey, somebody liked my thing. So we're now, we're now cool. Um, and really there's no real intimate, transparent knowledge of one another whatsoever. And so what's at stake in all this, right? Um, you know, we've talked a lot. We've, t- we've done episodes here on the underground about virtue, that God wants to form certain things in human beings, form character into us, uh, that we are being changed. Who we are matters more, and who we're becoming matters more to God uh, than, than the argument we win. And, and if we engage in such a way in the world where it has a debasement, uh, a wreckage in our own soul, it makes us angrier person. It makes us vicious people. It makes us less loving people, less understanding, less compassionate, and less truthful and less uh, clear in our commitments. Um, our example to others suffers, and it matters deeply to God. This is something that shocked me. I was reading a book that I think is an under underappreciated book. Uh, when I was training young guys, for years uh, in New Jersey, we'd have all the guys read this book. It's by a man named Ajith Fernando. Uh, Fernando is a Sri Lankan. He's been uh, living in a country torn by uh, civil war and actual rebellions and revolutions and things uh, between people in the country in Sri Lanka. And he wrote a book called Jesus Driven Ministry. And, and he's speaking to kind of the Christian leadership and Christian community. But I think it has a lot of application to uh, the community at large who may value freedom, liberty, justice, equality, uh, a country made up of many people and cultures. And he, he says this in his book, Jesus Driven Ministry. I fear that the behavior of the present generation of Christian leaders is such that we are going to give the next generation a very poor example of godliness. If we do not arrest this trend, and I think this book is around 2008, maybe, publication, uh, and we have not arrested this trend. If we do not arrest this trend, we could be responsible for an outbreak of cynicism in the younger generation where doctrines of the faith are not honored anymore because the leaders of the earlier generation did not adorn the doctrine with holy lives. This situation could turn and give rise to another dark age where rampant nominalism and powerlessness will plague the church. I didn't think it would happen that quick. It's, um, when, did, when was that written? I believe the publication on that is 2008. I have to check, but mm. it's uh, about mm. a decade old. Um, our kids are watching. Young people are watching. Um, if you if you are a Christian leader in in interacting in the public square, um, people see it's disappointing, it's troubling when we uh, disregard character that should be uh, shaped and being conformed into the image of God, not in a self-righteous, pharisaical, judging people way, uh, but when there's a complete disregard for even trying or even thinking repentance is necessary to the life of faith, it'll leave a disaster in its wake. And the consequences of that uh, could span into generations. And that's where we just, I mean, I pray, forgive us, Father. We don't know what we do and we need to change Kindness and civility towards the other actually creates an environment where the real exchange of ideas, the proclamation of the truth of the gospel is not only possible, but actually, in my view, Jesse, more fruitful. Got any Mm. final thoughts? Mm. 
for us only on- that only that I, I find this uh, I'm more hopeful right now than I was an hour ago. So I appreciate this conversation, uh, especially uh, thinking through the categories of kindness and civility. Oftentimes um, I'm thinking about charity or grace. And I think civility maybe is more helpful Yeah, because civility um, gets at the idea that there, that we, th- there's kind of rules of engagement. It's not just a blanket sort of, Hey, you know, I trust you and love you. So whatever you say is fine, but I, no, actually yeah. maybe I don't, maybe, yeah. maybe I don't think it's fine, Yeah, but it doesn't change the fact that I need to treat you with respect because you're, That's you're right. made in God's image. How am I going to treat so. someone particularly when I do not agree what, with exactly. what they are saying? This is a good practice for those of you, you know, obviously we are in a digital world with smartphones and social media. Instead of just posting your disagreement with someone you're actually friends with, or, you know, uh, casually, if you follow each other, why not direct message them and ask for clarity and ask for interaction? It keeps it out of the, the, the Thunderdome of the public view and allows friends to interact with clarity in writing, which I think clear thinking and writing can be done in any medium that involves communication. Uh, shoot the DM instead. Uh, before you post, how about you talk to the person? Uh, text them if they're an actual friend of yours in real life. Hey, man, I saw you post this. Are you, What's going on? Are you all right? What is that about? Um, hey, I, I had a question. I needed to clarify what you mean by this. I'm trying to learn. And look, and if you mess up and if you uh, don't say the right thing and interact with a friend, I, hey, they might come at you and blow you up. But you know what? That's okay. Um, we can uh, uh, overlook uh, the sins of each other because we're family and we are seeking to understand and be understood. And, and as a Christian community, we're actually seeking to follow Jesus together. And we're, t- we're, we're trying to get better. We're trying to shape a more just and good future on earth as it is in heaven because we have a common great king who's told us things that are true. In uh, being a jerk for being a jerk's sake or winning your political argument is not the game that Jesus taught us to play. Jesse, man, it's been great being here on Zoom with you, brother. We're going to be mobbing again. I'm wearing an Anthony Ashnault wrestling shirt. He was involved in some uh, Twitter uh, drama recently. Mobbing might have to do with something, you know, with the way you wrestle. We'll have to see what that means. But uh, thank you guys for joining us. We're glad to be here with you guys in the Gospel Underground. The Gospel Underground is a joint production of Power of Change and the Life Together author Bonhoeffer Bonhoeffer House. Led by Jesse Fury. Review us on iTunes. Five stars are acceptable. Send your comments, feedback, questions, anything you would like us to take up here on the underground to info at gospelunderground.org. We're a dialogue taking place sometimes on Twitter in the borderlands between the church and culture. We hope to see you there or not. Peace. Peace.